0: On today's episode of the London Lyceum, Brandon and I talk with Christian Miller about character and virtues, and why that that why that's an important thing. And we zero in especially on the virtue of honesty. I think honesty is a neglected virtue, as does he, as does Dr. Miller. Uh, and we really discuss why that why why is that the case? And then we consider some problem cases for honesty. What what do we do in scenarios? Like uh, the Hebrew midwives where they lie or or Rahab who's praised for lying. What, what do we do with these specific examples and how do we make sense of being honest despite having praised uh, lying in different scenarios? I think this is a fascinating episode. I think we learned a lot about just virtues in general and honesty. And Christian Miller is just really a wonderful guy to interview. He was a ton of fun, very knowledgeable, very helpful, and very, very gracious, full of virtue himself. So I think you're really going to enjoy it, and I hope you tune into the whole thing. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of the London Lyceum, where we hope to encourage our listeners to think deeply. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak.
1: And I'm your other host, Brandon Askew.
0: And we are really excited today to introduce you to a a new guest, Dr. Christian Miller, uh, who's over at the Wake Forest University. Um, And we were just talking before the show started how um, they, I guess, stole our university since we both live in Wake Forest uh, and they took it. So it's kind of funny. Um, It's a little bit of an inside North Carolina joke, I think. But I still do get asked when I live in Wake Forest, they think the university's there, even though it's not. Um, that said, I really am looking forward to talking to, to Christian about the topic of character and particularly the virtue of honesty. So I can't think of hardly a more relevant topic than this, considering just all of the stuff that goes on in our own, uh, daily walk in life. Uh, it seems like there's always questions of truth and of honesty, uh, that arise everywhere you look. Um, so I think this is going to be really, really interesting. And it seems like there's not a lot that's being talked about. Um, I guess, philosophically, as it relates to the virtue of honesty. So before we dig into it, uh, Christian, why don't you introduce yourself to us? Uh, for those listeners who n- may not be familiar with you, uh, you can give just think 30 to 60 second introduction on your kind of your basic background.
2: Great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a real honor. I look forward to our time together in our conversation. Uh, I'm currently a professor of philosophy here at Wake Forest University, which is in Winston Salem, North Carolina. I've been here for the last 15 years. It's the only academic academic job I've ever had. I've I've just loved my time here. My main area of research is in the the field of ethics. No surprise when we're talking about character and virtue here. I also have a secondary interest in philosophy of religion. Uh, But going back kind of bigger picture, um, I I grew up in Florida, uh, got exposed to philosophy very early on in high school. I took three classes when I was uh, a senior in high school at a local college that exposed me to philosophy went off to to uh, undergraduate at Princeton, where I majored in philosophy, focusing on ethics, and then immediately to graduate school at University of Notre Dame, where I was able to explore both my interest in philosophy religion and in ethics, wrote a dissertation on the topic of the nature of morality. Where does morality come from? Is it objective or merely relative? And then from there, was on to Wake Forest. Uh, as I said, I've been here for the last 15 years.
0: That's awesome.
1: That's great. Um, so I guess we can dive right into the the topic that we want to discuss today, and that's that's character uh, and the virtue of honesty. So can you uh, just begin with, with helping our listeners with some definitions here? So you, can you define character for us and then maybe also give us a, a definition of um, what a virtue is?
2: Sure. So it's always the best place to start. So you must be have some some philosophical background and training here, because philosophers, <laughs> you, you say, where are we going to start? We got to define our terms. We got to be real clear what we're talking about, or we're, we run the risk of just talking past each other and not making any progress or headway. So uh, I think of character, and I'm focusing specifically on moral character. There are different types of character. There's intellectual character. There's uh, aesthetic character. There's athletic character. There's religious character, maybe. Uh, I'm focused on moral character, and I'm thinking that of that as our moral fiber. It's how we're disposed to think cognitively, feel motivationally, and act behaviorally when it comes to moral matters. So to make that a little bit less abstract and to tie it into virtues and vices too, moral character comes in two forms. There's moral virtues, things like honesty, compassion, justice, courage, and so forth. And then there's the other kind, the moral vices. Unfortunately, they exist too. Uh, things like dishonesty, cowardice, and cruelty. And so when we take a moral virtue and we uh, kind of, uh, see what that looks like with this characterization of character I've given, we want to say there's a cognitive aspect. So how you think, a um, since we'll do honesty later, I'll, I'll save that one. So take something like compassion. Uh, A a compassionate person thinks a certain way. They think perhaps that it's important to help others, uh, that it's bad, that certain people are in need. Um, They are disposed also to feel a certain way, so they have certain emotions and motivations. So a compassionate person would be motivated to help others selflessly, altruistically, not so that they could benefit themselves, but that they could help uh, others in need. And then finally, a compassionate person is disposed to behave a certain way, so to do actually compassionate actions, not just one such action, but uh, actions across a wide variety of circumstances, whether that's picking up dropped papers or holding the door or making a donation to charity. uh, It could be a variety of different circumstances, cross-situationally, and then finally, stably over time, not just today. Uh, And then never again, not just today and tomorrow, never again, but uh, indefinitely into the future. So to to wrap all that up, uh, I say character in general, and I focus on virtues in particular, they have a cognitive component or intellectual component, they have a motivational component, and then finally they have a a behavioral component. And if if it's a virtue, all three of those need to be exhibiting excellence. They need to be uh, not just neutral or mediocre, they need to be very positive, morally speaking to qualify as a morally virtuous person.
0: Okay, so so I guess if, if I have a virtue, I have to do something good more than just once. I have to repeatedly do it as more of like a habit.
2: Uh, if, that's, if that's available to you. Okay. Uh, I mean, if your circumstances allow, uh, maybe for whatever reason, like, um, you know, you, not when you're asleep, not when you're in a coma, right? Um, yeah. uh, maybe, there, maybe there's not many opportunities to exhibit charity, for example. Um, but yeah, when the relevant circumstances arise, uh, it would be really sa- strange to say, a compassionate person, uh, oh, that that's okay. As uh, long as you're helping pick up drop papers, you don't have to do anything else. Right? Uh, that would be really strange. Or, um, okay, I saw you did this one act of charity, but you never do anything else your entire life. That's that's not sufficient. Um, mm-hmm. so, there, so, it, so psychologists and philosophers would call this the cross-situational element or aspect of virtue. And it's also true of vice, too. Vice is also cross situationally consistent and then stable over time.
1: So is it, is it fair to say that someone's um, the totality of the, of the makeup of their character would be um, where they fall on all of these different spectrums as it relates to a number of different um, virtues and vices? Yeah, that's that's really
2: good. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think the answer is is yes. Uh, So we can, we can kind of isolate different parts of someone's character. We can say, well, how is this person disposed when it comes to telling the truth? How is this person disposed when it comes to helping others? And how is this person disposed when it comes to overcoming their fear? And so we can we can look at different aspects or facets of people's character, and that's really important because almost no one has a uh, a character that's virtuous across the board. We usually have strengths and weaknesses. Um, but then, if we want to say if we want to make a, a kind of cumulative judgment or a uh, a, a totalizing judgment, say. What is this person's character like, period? Well, then it's a matter of what all those facets are like in in the aggregate. So if I want to say someone is a perfectly virtuous person, they better have all the virtues. Mm -hmm. And they better have them to the best degree, the highest degree, if they're going to be perfectly virtuous. You can't be missing one virtue and be called a perfectly virtuous person.
0: That makes sense, and I guess you know. I'm thinking I've got your book here on, on the character gap, which I think has a wonderful cover, um, and the subtitle is "How Good Are We?" So, in your estimation, do most people have the virtues, and are they good in, in any definable sense?
2: Right, right. Um, so, let me for the listeners who may not see the cover. Uh, so the the cover is a um, spectrum with on the top Gandhi. And on the bottom, Hitler. And so the the subtitle of the book is How Good Are We? And the questionnaire is where do we fall on that spectrum with, you know, taking Gandhi as a representative of virtue, although he wasn't a perfect representative, he had flaws, and taking Hitler as a representative of vice. So now we're moving into a different kind of conversation. So the first kind of conversation we had was a more traditional, philosophical, and you could say theological discussion, too, where we're thinking about the concept of character and the concept of virtue and unpacking it mm-hmm. from the armchair. We don't have to do empirical research. We can just you know, think hard about this and try to get a, an account of these things. Well, we move to the question of, well, how virtuous or vicious or neither are most people in fact today? You could uh, approach that question in a variety of ways. You could look to religion, and that would be a, a promising discussion and a helpful discussion to have. You could look to uh, current events. Um, You could look to history. Um, But what I do is to really tackle that question, I look to psychological research. And so the the key here is that I'm moving away from a more traditional philosophical discussion, and I'm now engaged in kind of uh, gathering as much empirical data as I can Mm -hmm. to think about this question, because I can't do it from the armchair. I can't say most people are good just by sitting here and reflecting on it. So now to to directly address the question, what's my conclusion? My conclusion after having looked extensively at the last 50 years of psychological research on helping, harming, lying, cheating, stealing, in particular, is that most people, and I'm choosing the words carefully, most people, not necessarily all people, uh, exhibit a character which I would say is a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. uh it has some positive aspects but some negative aspects too so a character that's not good enough to qualify as virtuous but also not bad enough to qualify as vicious so it's a kind of glass half full glass half empty sometimes people say this is depressing sometimes people say this is optimistic <laughs> i say you know it depends on what your inclinations are but i'm saying we're we're, we're roughly in the middle so uh,
0: in your research did you find that there were any particular types of groups of people who were
2: better or worse than others? Yeah. Um, so we might have to, the, the short answer is no. Um, but uh, but what, with one exception that I can expand on in a minute. Um, so first I want to clarify that what my picture is that we have a bell curve here. Mm-hmm. So it's most people are in this murky middle, but there are going to be outliers. I think they're going to be, you know, some people who qualify as virtuous, and you could add your, to the list, you know, people like whoever you think are your moral saints or heroes, like Mother Teresa or Gandhi or or whatnot, Martin Luther King, and there'll be outliers on the other end too. Uh, so the hitlers the Stalin's of the world. Now groups of people, well, you can carve up groups in lots of different ways. You can carve them up on on gender grounds, you can carve them up on racial grounds, you can carve them up on political grounds, you can carve them up on religious grounds. I have to say I've I've not explored this extensively. Mm -hmm. Um, What I see is uh, not much of an impact on gender, uh, race, um, political. I know I'm I'm nervous about that one because I haven't explored as much. But what I have looked into quite a bit, though, is the religious uh, grouping. And there, with some hesitation, I'll, I'll uh, put forward this claim, which is that um, Western uh, subscribers to Western religions show some signs of having a better character than non-subscribers. But mm-hmm. so that's not that's not in comparison to say Eastern religions. Um, That's not the comparison class to people who identify as non-religious. That's that's the comparison class. Now I'm gonna we can explore however much you want, but I'll I'll, let me qualify that right off the bat. Um, Why do I say this claim, and what are the qualifications? Uh, So when you look at data correlating, say, measures of religiosity with things like um, donations to charity, or Hours volunteered for both secular and religious charities, you do find a significant correlation such that as religiosity goes up, these good forms of behavior go up. Hmm. Um, so, people who report that they're regular attenders or that they pray frequently or they really read a religious text often, uh, when you also assess their amount um, you know, donated, frequency of donating, number of hours volunteered frequency volunteering uh you see a correlation positive okay. correlation. now what's the qualification well one of jumps right at, uh, off the bat as you should be uh that's just correlational so we don't have causal data here um so that's that's why i i'm i'm trying to be a little cagey and, and cautious <laughs> yeah
1: so uh i guess this is a decent segue since we just brought up religion so well first we need to get a definition of of the virtue of honesty since we want to narrow the scope down to just the virtue of honesty, but also um, related to religion, particularly Christianity. I wanted to ask how is the virtue of honesty related to the ninth commandment Um, in Exodus chapter 20? Is it um, identical or is it more narrow or is it more broad? Because I think sometimes a lot of people just throw out the ninth commandment as like it, it just means do not lie. But I think that may be a bit of a a loose way of defining the ninth commandment. So can you just um, talk to us about what the virtue of honesty is and how it compares uh, to that commandment?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's lots to be said here. And if you want to interject and and cut me off, if I start going on too long, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, So let me contextualize first for a number of years, I was working on character in general. Uh, I I wrote two uh, academic monographs on character So that means that they weren't read by anyone. Um, And then I, and then I wrote the, the the trade book, the popular book, uh, the character gap, uh, which with the attempt that here's something that might actually be read by some people Uh, at that, after I finished the trade book, I kind of said, well, uh, I've been doing this for a while. I've said what I want to say. Uh, I I want to work on something related, but, but fresh and new. And so I was looking around to see what that might be. And I, had this thought that there are some virtues that are getting almost no attention in philosophy and some other fields too. Uh, Generosity is one of them, interestingly enough. And then honesty is another. And we could explore, you know, later on if you, if you want why that is, but almost nothing has been said about honesty in philosophy, the virtue of honesty in the last 50 years. So in recent years, I've turned my attention to that. And I've uh, tried to develop an account of the virtue of honesty. And then also get back into that empirical discussion again to what extent are people actually honest? Mm-hmm. Um, now so let's now take your question, the two parts to it. So what is honesty as a virtue, as opposed to just as particular one-off honest action? Well, one thing I think we have to wrestle with right off the bat is what is the scope of honesty? What does it pertain to? And what does it not pertain to? And that's that itself is very controversial. Some people think it's very narrow and focused narrow downs to things just like, uh, lying matters of lying and misleading uh, i think that's certainly part of the b- virtue of honesty if that's falls under the the scope of honesty but i think on my way of thinking about it honesty is actually much broader it includes matters of uh stealing includes matters of cheating and it includes matters of promising so i adopt a broad conception that you know again i, I i'm upfront about that being controversial so if if you have a broad conception like i do then it makes my job harder because, okay, what is it that all these things have in common that connects them? What is it that connects stealing, lying, cheating, promise-breaking, and misleading others uh, such that they all have something to do with honesty? And to make a long story short, I have developed an approach to thinking about this where at the heart of it, it's a matter of an honest person does not intentionally distort the facts as he or she sees them, so there's moving a lot of moving parts in that, uh, but let's take an example when you when you lie and say, uh, you know something like um, uh, you know l- last night, I was working away on my book when, in fact, last night you were watching a Batman movie or something like that, mm-hmm. what's going on you're You're intentionally on purpose, distorting the facts as you see them. The facts, as you see them, was uh, I was watching the Batman movie. But in your verbal communication to your spouse or to someone else, you're intentionally distorting those facts and saying, uh, "No, actually, I was working away on my book." Um, so that that idea, that core idea, I think, can be taken to not just lying, be taken to misleading, promise breaking, cheating, and stealing. Okay, um, we can probe that more if you like, but I'm trying to to not uh, you know wear you out your ear out <laughs> uh, with, with one response to your your question. Um, now, to the ninth commandment. Um, let me say, uh, by way of preface, that I am a philosopher. I'm not a theologian, uh, not a, uh, especially not a biblical theologian, nor uh, an Old Testament scholar. So take everything I say with lots of grains of salt. You, you all should be answering this question, Remember, not, not me. Um, so uh, ninth commandment, um, bearing false witness. Let me say two things. First, there's some controversy about whether that just pertains to perjury. So it could be understood quite narrowly. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's just limited to perjury, well, then it's clear that that's not the same thing as honesty or dishonesty. Uh, It's just a very specific facet of of honesty. Um, Or we could take it more broadly speaking to encompass lying in general. So it's a commandment to not lie. Um, Even there, though, uh, given what I've just said earlier, that would not be coextensive with honesty if you think honesty also includes things like stealing yeah, um, now, put that aside uh, suppose y- you just thought w- w- the command has to do with uh honesty i mean that 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 surely the spirit of it was trying to get at honesty. Note though that it's a command pertaining to behavior um that's not the same thing as a virtue. As we clarified earlier, and why it's always great to start with the clarification, um, a virtue involves, yes, a behavioral component. Uh, do this thing, do not do this thing. An honest person does not uh, you know, commit perjury on the stand or uh, lie about what he was doing last night, um, but it involves more than that. It involves also a motivational component, for example. Uh, you don't get to qualify as honest just by uh, always telling the truth and never cheating and never stealing. You have to have the right heart, mm-hmm. right motivational disposition behind your actions, and you know just taking the commandment in isolation, the words of the commandment, they speak to behavior, but they don't speak to uh, the whole package of character.
1: Hmm. That's really helpful. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So, in, you, in the way you defined honesty, you said your account is pretty broad. Um, so I'm assuming that there are other ways to define honesty that are pretty narrow. Um, why would you say that your account of honesty is superior to other versions?
2: Well, um, I don't know if I would. I mean, maybe uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it sounds like I'm pretty pre- presumptuous. Uh, uh <laughs> I mean, it, and there's also this problem here, which is that there are almost no other accounts out there. Okay, so, oh, that, um, yeah, that makes sense. So, there are a couple difficulties here. Um, so first of all, there. You know, in philosophy, at least, the, uh, there's not much to ch- choose from on the menu of options. Uh, so I, what I'm trying to do actually is to kind of break some new ground mm-hmm. and get an account out there that at least people can respond to. Um, because what happens, and this may anticipate what, what we're going to talk about later, but um, what happens is that uh, if no one's getting accounts out there that get people uh, worked up about them, and responding to them and saying why well, they're wrong, then the, the the field tends to stagnate. There's just not much much interest. But instead, uh, if you can just get an account out there, and uh, even if it ends up being hopelessly flawed, uh, people will be interested in it. Hopefully, and they'll write response papers and critiques and so forth, and tell me why I'm wrong. And their a new account is better. Um, so I think we're such at such an early stage now that it's hard to address the question. However, let me. Let me try and say at least something, so it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm just dodging the question. <laughs> um, you know, uh, part of why I think it's a good account um, is that I think it uh, it fits intuitive examples. <clears throat> so I think when you think of examples of lying, paradigm examples, or cheating, or so forth, my account can fit those nicely. Um, it, you don't have to distort the account. Um, uh, secondly, I think. Uh, I haven't told you the whole account, I have just told you the core of it, but it also has a motivational component. Um, so I think sometimes people, when they give an account of a virtue, they just focus on the behavior without get, uh, paying attention to the motivation. Uh, but my, I'm really trying to be sensitive to honesty as motivational and honesty as behavioral. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are two things. Um, and thirdly, uh, no one's convinced me I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm good for now
0: <laughs> that's fair yeah it seems like i guess when i think about it i think if i asked most people what how they would define honesty they would probably s- define it in a narrow sense would you th- is do you find that to be true
2: yeah i mean if if you ask uh what you know what do you think of when you think of an honest person you'd be, they'd yeah. probably go to abraham lincoln or something like that and and uh, what what do you what do you think of first of all the kind of behavior that an honest person would do. And they'll probably say, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And then when you say, well, what, what would be a good example of, a dis, of dishonesty? They probably say, lie, lying. Um, so you're, you're right. Uh, that tends to be at the forefront of people's mind. But then I, I do a little bit of probing and I say, okay, I agree with that. Um, but what about someone who uh, cheats on their taxes? I mean, don't you think that's a dishonest person? Yeah. And people say, not yet. Okay, yeah, that, that's a dishonest person. But what about someone who, who cheats on his, on his husband or her, her husband or his wife or her wife? Whatever, could get all the pronouns right. <laughs> um, uh, uh, whatever the case might be. Um, so, uh, uh, isn't that a dishonest person? People say yes, right? Yeah. Um, no, okay, cheating then looks like it falls under the, under the scope. Well, how about uh, someone who steals from the company? Uh, wouldn't the company think that's a dishonest employee and probably to fire them on the grounds of dishonesty? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay, that that makes sense. So you see what I'm doing? Yeah. I'm trying to get more types of cases out there with concrete examples, and I find most people are willing to come on board with me for a broader conception. So yeah,
1: go ahead. Uh, Jordan was going to ask a question about some objections in a minute, but I, I want to go ahead and, and bring up something, um, especially as it relates to a couple things we see, um, in the Bible. So in your definition here and how we should understand the virtue of honesty, you make a point that we have to take into account motivations and not merely, um, the action that somebody takes. So, um, thinking about two different, uh, instances here, one being the Hebrew midwives in Exodus, we're, we're told that they feared God. Um, and that's the reason that they didn't kill the baby and then Rahab, she is commended in the the book of Hebrews for her act in um, aiding the Israelite spies. And part of that act in aiding them was lying about them being there. So um, she's commended for her faith and the Hebrew midwives were commended for fearing God, but they did actually distort the facts. They said something that was not true. So, there's a question in there somewhere. I've not done a good job of it, but how do we think through that um, when we think through the virtue of honesty, I guess, is the question.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think there, there are two questions. So maybe I, I can uh, disentangle them. What is just what, what does motivation look like in an honest person? And secondly, what do we say about cases of lying and, and maybe justified lying? And what does that tell us about honesty? Um, so let me take them one at a time. When it comes to motivation in an honest person's life, I think we want to distinguish kinds of motives. Uh, and this is going to be me going back into philosophy mode. Uh, so we want to say that they're egoistic or self-centered motives. So I'm doing something to benefit myself. That's my focus. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm telling the truth so that I look good in front of others, or I'm telling the truth so I don't get punished. Uh, That's egoistic. That's focused on me. I think that's not virtuous. Mm -hmm. Any egoistic motivation is not going to be virtuous in general, and specifically when it comes to the virtue of honesty. Now, what would count then? There could be two other categories or kinds of motives. You could have altruistic, where you're motivated for the good of the other person uh, to benefit him or her, regardless of whether I benefit in the process. Mm -hmm. That's altruistic motivation. That's fine. That's uh, commendable. Or you could have dutiful motivation. So I'm, I'm doing the thing because it's my duty. It's because uh, God commanded me. It's because it's the right thing to do. It's because it's what the moral law says to do. There are different ways to spell it out. So I, could get, I can get God in there. I can get Kant, Immanuel Kant, who, uh, uh, in there too, who would talk about duty and obligation. And that, that to me is also fine when it comes to an honest person. It's just that egoistic kind, no so in, in your examples, uh, fear of the Lord, uh, that could count as an honest uh, motive as well. Um, but uh, when it came to something like if it was um, so that I could get more rewards for myself in the afterlife, that's egoistic. It's all about me. It's all self-centered. Hmm. I start to get nervous about that. OK, um, hopefully that's 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 clear and makes sense, um, although controversial. Uh now on the line, um, and this uh, can go in, a, in lots of different directions. We could go into a discussion of the Nazis at the door. It's a famous yeah. uh, case. Um, when we think about when I w- w- let me start this way, when I ask my students in my ethics class, uh, "Is it ever okay to lie?" Uh, overwhelmingly, they say yes. Um, hmm. No, no one, uh, or almost no one, amongst students these days holds the strict traditional view that uh, lying is always wrong. That's the view that Augustine held. That's the view that Immanuel Kant held, at least in some of his writings. Uh, that's the view that a few theologians today hold too. Paul Griffiths is one who's advocated that, that view too. Uh, but it's so hard to get students. I don't know. Maybe at a, it might be different at a, at a Christian school, but at, a, at least at a secular school like mine, to, to buy that. And so. One of the reasons is because of cases like uh, Nazi at the door cases, mm-hmm. and so this will tie back to your the other part of your question. But let me just 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 unpack this. Um, so, uh, you know, during World War II, you're hiding Jews in the basement uh, from the Nazis in a Nazi-occupied territory. Uh, here comes a routine Nazi patrol. The Nazi guard uh, soldier is going door to door, just asking as a formality. Uh, do you know where any Jews are? Do you know where any Jews are? Do you know where any Jews are? You know that this is a routine patrol. Here comes the knock at the door. You have Jews in your basement. Uh, the, the question comes, do you know where your Jews are? And uh, you have a choice. You're confronted with a choice. Do I tell the truth, which seems like the honest thing, or do I lie and thereby protect the the uh, the Jewish family in the basement? And so when I ask students, you know, they all say, not only is it uh, optional, or I'm allowed to lie, uh, I'm actually required. Uh, morality requires me. I would be doing something wrong if I didn't lie in that case. So how does that fit the this picture? How does it fit uh, what your earlier comments as well about justified lying? Um, I think of it this way. I, I go this way. Um, I think that if you tell a lie there, you are being dishonest. Uh, you are exhibiting uh, a failure of honesty. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, there's more than one virtue that comes into play mm-hmm. in this scenario. There's a, another virtue that comes into play is compassion. <laughs> uh, compassion is a virtue that's also very important. And in order to exhibit compassion in this situation, uh, that would lead me to weigh the interests of the Jewish family above the interests of the Nazi patrol uh, you know, soldier. So... We have a conflict then between two virtues. Honesty says, tell the truth. Compassion says, uh, don't tell the truth. Now we have to make a decision which one is more significant in this situation and practical wisdom, what Aristotle would call practical wisdom or phronesis, comes into play. And we think about, okay, uh, the more important thing to do is protect the lives of innocent people, mm-hmm. even at the cost or the expense of, of uh, telling a lie. And so my overall takeaway is that, uh, telling a lie can be dishonest but also morally acceptable
0: is I, there are, are there anyone or is there anyone out there who makes a case that lying can be honest in some in some way because it seems like i think most people would intuitively want to say i always want to be honest but at the same time they want to save the jewish family in the basement so do we just have to bite the bullet and say you have to give up one to to
2: no, have the other no you don't have to there are other ways you could go uh so let me give you one op- other option uh you could say that um me telling the nazi uh i don't know where any jews are does not constitute a lie and if it doesn't constitute a lie it's not a failure of dishonesty
0: mm-hmm.
2: now, now how could you make that move uh That seems like, you know, obviously false. Of course it constitutes a lie because you know where the Jews are um, and you're saying you don't know where the Jews are. Well, here's one argument that has some historical precedent. It goes like this. Um, uh, You only count, it would only count as a lie if the audience has a right to the truth. You can only lie to those who have a right to the truth in the first place. Well, the Nazi has no right to the truth. It has no right to be told the truth. Right. And so when I utter those words, I'm not actually lying because this is a person who has no right to the truth in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So if I'm not lying, I'm not doing anything dishonest. And so I'm not actually violating honesty. Grotius in the the medieval uh, thinker, Grotius is historically associated with this idea. Some people have held it to it's an option. I'm giving, So I'm answering your question. It, it's another way to go. I just have a hard time going that way. Is-
1: is there any way you could you could say, and this may not make any sense, so we can just move on. But like <laughs> um, that, that it only counts as a lie if your motivation is to harm the person you are giving the uh, non-truth to. Whereas in this case of the Jews, your motivation is not to harm the Nazis. Your motivation is to help the people in your basement. So um, I guess that would really just boil down to each instance of of you either telling the truth or not telling the truth just comes down to like a case-by-case basis but i don't know uh, i'm just trying to th-
2: yeah you, you you that's that's a coherent position i mean that's that that's a coherent reasonable defensible position uh it's not the position i would adopt personally <clears throat> I, I don't i don't think it's as plausible as the way i go uh simply because uh what is lying well it looks like it's a matter of intentionally distorting the facts um mm-hmm. and whether your motivation is is good or bad, you're you can't get around the fact that on purpose, knowingly, you are telling false information to someone else, uh, even if it's for the best motive of all. That seems to mm-hmm. me to, to count as a lie. Uh, I can't get around that personally.
1: So, on your view, are are the different virtues? Let me see So, is it is it that the virtues themselves are? Hierarchical, in that, like, you know, one is just inherently more valuable than the other, or is it dependent on the specific situation that you're in?
2: Yeah, great, great great question. Um, you could hold either view. Uh, My own view is that it's more dependent on a situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so first of all, we'd have to, to kind of work on our list of virtues, uh, and settle on that, and then we can ask this follow up question well, how do we rank them? And I'm resistant. I, I think we can set on a list of a pretty good list of the virtues, but I'm resistant to ranking them. Why? Well, because in some circumstances like this one, we've been talking about a lot, uh, compassion can trump honesty. But I think there can be other circumstances where it can go the other way. it uh, can trump compassion. And so I'm uh I'm very I think it's just too simplistic to the complexity of the moral life to come up with an ordinal ranking. That makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. So Transitioning a little bit, I'm curious more for practical reasons of what can we do to improve our character and particularly the virtue of honesty?
2: Yeah. Well, I hope we have a little time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one to save for the end. Um, yeah. You might have to give me some allowances here or cut me, cut me off depending on what your needs are. Uh, or, you know, um, uh, so in the, in the book, Character Gap, it's divided up into three parts. First part is just make it clear, sure we understand what we're talking about. What is character? Second part is how good is our character? And I say it's a mixed bag. We fall short of the good character we're supposed to have. I could have stopped the book there and just said, you know, this is the reality of the situation. Sorry, most of us don't have a good character, probably me either. And, you know, <laughs> deal with that. Um, so I, but I said, no, 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 that's really depressing. That's a, a terrible note to end on. So I have a third section, which goes in a lot more detail than we're able to hear about strategies for trying to improve our character and bridge that character gap so that our actual character better reflects the character we should have. Mm -hmm. In one chapter, I talk about strategies which I don't think are very promising. I go through three of them and I'll I'll just put those aside since they're I don't think they're very promising. Um, (laughs) But in the next chapter, I go through some secular ideas of how to improve character. And then in a final chapter, I explore briefly some more religious, specifically uh, Christian ideas about how to improve character. So in the interest of time, maybe I'll just look at the the secular ones. Uh, I look at three ideas here. One is uh, looking to moral role models exemplars and saints and heroes who display good character and thereby can do two things at least. One, help inform us about what good character is like, give us like concrete illustrations of this so that we're more familiar with it. But secondly, inspire us emotionally to become more like them. So whether it's Abraham Lincoln with honesty or it's Harriet Tubman with courage, or I talk about Paul Farmer, a living example today with compassion, uh, there's a lot more to say here. But these are concrete examples of role models uh, who can work on our character, both at the intellectual level and at the emotional level. And so happy to go into that more detail if we have time. The second one that I unpack is uh, the role of more reminders in our lives. Um, so often we have a good heart in a sense that we know the right thing to do, and sometimes we we want to do the right thing, but we can get distracted in life. Other things can come along which tempt us to focus on ourselves and value our self-interest more than we should. And so here the idea is that more reminders if they're present in our life on a routine basis, can help us get back on track and keep us focused on what we need to be focused on. So those could be things like uh, uh, a daily devotional
0: mm-hmm.
2: or a, at the end of the day, a journal entry that looks back on your day and kind of reminds you of what you've done well and poorly during the day. Or it could be text messages that you get on your phone, you program your phone to give you more reminders throughout the day. Uh, It could even be things like tattoos if you want to, you know, all things are fair game here uh, when it comes to moral reminders. At at a university setting, an honor code is a very vivid and um, impactful uh, illustration of a moral reminder. And then the third one uh, I'll highlight here in the interest of time is very briefly, uh, is the uh, importance of gaining greater self-awareness about our own character. And in particular, our own character flaws. Mm-hmm. So to know where we have some strengths, but also where we need to really make uh, significant improvements. And this gets tricky because our character isn't always immediately transparent to us. Uh, we, there is, you know, unconscious psychological states. I don't think that's, you know, whatever you think of Freud, put that to one side. There's just pretty uncontroversial that there is a subconscious aspect to our our minds. And it's not always immediately obvious what's going on there. Um, but other times we, you know, we just uh, engage in self-deception, we rationalize, we have these tricks of the trade uh, that blind us to who we really are. So importance of cultivating a greater self-awareness, hmm. which could be tied back to the psychological research, because a lot of these studies are really revelatory, really um, helpful in unpacking and unlocking aspects of our psychology, which we might not have even uh, been aware of in the first place. So. More exemplars, more reminders, and greater self awareness are three things that I, I really highlight.
0: That's helpful. I, I like that. And, go, Brandon, were you going to say something?
1: Well, I was just going to say that you know I'm about halfway through your book, The Character Gap, and you know these stories that you've included in here, um, and, and you mentioned this in the, in or the early pages of the book, but the stories that you have in there, they they make you, you know, there's something. Um, there's something about them that makes you want to be a better person after you read them, you know, they're inspirational in that way. So, um, I do want to commend your book to anybody who's listening. It has uh, really been enjoyable so far, but Jordan, do you want to go ahead?
0: Yeah. I I mean, I was just going to ask more about what other resources you thought uh, were helpful on this topic of character and the virtue of honesty. Um, I know we've talked about your book some, and we recommend all of our listeners to grab a copy of that. Um, but other besides that, are there other works that we should be should be referencing and or finding?
2: Well, I guess it would depend on what you're looking for and uh what's, where you're coming from i I'll put it that way so recommendations are gonna vary depending upon whether we're looking for religious resources or secular resources. They're also gonna vary depending upon whether we're looking for academic resources or more you know general audience resources mm-hmm. um so maybe I'll just mention a couple of things uh uh, briefly for, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll something, so everyone will re- resonate with one of these. Um, there's been a um, a fair amount of literature coming out on character in the general popular, you know, like general trade markets. Probably the bestseller these days has been David Brooks's work. Uh, he has a book called The Road to Character, uh, which ties in nicely to, to Brandon's point too, because what he does in that book is spends a lot more time Going over exemplars of virtue, and getting deep into their their stories and their their biographies and and what made them tick and some of their their weaknesses as well as their strengths. So that's uh that's what I would commend, uh, you know when it comes to more religious discussions and and we have to go you know maybe Christian specifically or or theistic in general or religious even more generally. Um, this can go in a variety of ways. I mean Dallas Willard is a is a just an amazing contributor to the mm-hmm. kind of practical life of spiritual discipline and cultivating uh, a, a better character within a Christian framework, thinking about the internal workings of the Holy spirit and the, the fruits of the spirit and all, all that. So I, am a huge fan of, of his work. Um, so those were, I guess, would be two recommendations off the bat. Uh, I think maybe i have to think more about other ones. Uh, maybe you can put something on the website as well. If I, if I come up with other ones, that would have yeah, it, absolutely. It brought up here. Uh,
0: that's one thing we always want to do is we put it in the show notes, all the different resources to check out. So uh, another thing I want to ask before we let you go is for those who are interested in following what you're doing, um, seeing new resources that you're putting out, Is there? do you have a website? Do you have uh, social media or things that people can follow?
2: Yes, yes. Um, so the website, I do have a website and Google, the easiest thing is just to put Christian Miller into Google and Google will get you there um and so uh it's it's it, there are not too many christian millers working on character or at least if you need to add a character too um and then you can follow me on social media facebook uh twitter and the like of that uh i'm at ask character gap one word at character gap and so uh, i also have an email address of course that might um take a little bit of a day or two for me to get back to you but i'm always happy to, to follow up uh, over email as well if you'd like to have to, to have a more personal discussion. Fantastic.
0: Well, we've really enjoyed having you on talking about character and and the virtue of honesty. Um, I hope you keep doing more work. And I hope, as you mentioned, that other people get angry and respond. I I would love to see more work on, on this topic. Uh, I think it's fascinating, and I wish more was written on it. So I hope that that happens. Um, you know, maybe one day if I'm smart enough, I'll try to do some myself. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I can interview you, you then. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but that said, thanks for joining us, and for those who've been listening, you've been listening to the only analytic Baptist confessional podcast that exists. And we look forward to talking with you guys soon.